Andreas, welcome to the Bitcoin Source. Can we start things off by having you introduce yourself to the audience? Um, so my name is Andreas Cole. I've been a Bitcoiner since uh, 2012. Um, my story of how I got into Bitcoin was um, originally when uh, Julian Assange entered the Ecuadorian embassy, actually the WikiLeaks founder. Um, and um, I was living in London back at the time. Um, I was um, I was a follower of WikiLeaks, so I, I decided to go and uh, and stand outside the embassy, see, see what was going on. Um, some people out there were fundraising for Julian uh, in Bitcoin. Um, obviously, WikiLeaks had been totally deplatformed by that point. Uh, there was no way to donate to them with PayPal or anything. So, um, so yeah, that that was my first introduction to Bitcoin, and um, um, from there I learned about Australian comics. Um, I, I I used to work as an accountant at the time, but I kind of uh, dropped things up to to study economics by myself. Um, I, I started my first, uh, Bitcoin startup the following year in 2013. Um, uh, funnily enough, you know, I was, uh, actually importing the first, uh, Bitcoin compatible point of sale machine into London. I remember it was uh, manufactured in, in Israel and I was, uh, importing, uh, dozens of, uh, these machines, which obviously, as, as you can probably, uh, guess, there was no demand for at the time. I was extremely early with, with that. Um, then for the next few years, I, I made a living on, on local bitcoins mostly, uh, rest in peace. Um, and, uh, yeah, just OTC traded for, for a few years, uh, while, um, while I, I continued studying comics and I got involved with some um, public policy work then as well. Uh, worked with some free market think tanks, uh, mostly about bitcoin, but also doing some research about Liechtenstein. Um, and, and that's how I ended up uh, meeting with the sovereign prince of Liechtenstein, the ro the ruling prince of Liechtenstein back in in 2015. He granted me an award for an essay that I wrote about uh, uh, about decentralization in general. But one part of the essay was focused on decentralization of money, um, and that was uh, that was the, the 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 prince of Liechtenstein's first introduction to Bitcoin. Um, from there, I, I went on to to work at a, a few uh, startups in, in Liechtenstein as well, advising on um, on uh, re regulatory matters mostly. Um, I I was also the first person to talk to regulators in, in Liechtenstein about uh, uh, about Bitcoin, um, which led to to the principality actually being the first country in the world um, to have a regulatory framework for blockchain service providers. And in the last couple of years, I've been uh, been involved with um, uh, starting this new uh, sidechain concept uh, with my co-founder Alberto De Luigi, who's uh, uh, who's the ideator of of, uh, of this uh, sidechain model. Uh, we're calling it Sequentia, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be glad to to tell you more about it uh, um, on during this interview. But uh, that's 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 my background in a nutshell. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, what's interesting, Andres, like I've kind of did a little homework on you and, you know, I consider you like a Bitcoin OG in the space. Like I got in in 2017. So you have years of more experience in, in the Bitcoin ecosystem than myself. And how I noticed you was 
um, you were in an article piece pertaining to El Salvador and kind of um, them getting onto the the legal monetary standard or the Bitcoin standard. And, you know, you were mentioned in like an article on there, you know, talking about your experience and, you know, how Bitcoin is going to change the world and why decentralization is important. And, you know, I really wanted to get into um, this side chain model that you're kind of pushing onto the ecosystem, because I think that uh, you will bring a lot of value to Bitcoin with your ideas. And the question I wanted to pitch to you, oh, on, you know, building these UTXO side chains for tokenization and smart contracts, you know, with an open federation. I had John Light on. I don't know if you know who John Light is, but he does a lot of stuff with side chains. And we really got into the weeds of rootstock and layer two stuff. So could you please break down like what you're building at Sequentia? Sure. So um, first of all, going to uh, adding a little bit of background and context into why we need sidechains in, in the first place. Um, now, the, 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 there's there's different takes on what the use case of a sidechain should be. I think uh, the, the the one that most people converge on is the idea the the use case of tokenization. The idea that you could um, and it, you know, just uh, generally tokenization refers to the idea of being able to represent um, assets or uh, or different types of uh, rights or obligations with uh, with a token on an existing blockchain rather than creating a whole new blockchain for every token, which obviously doesn't make sense. Um, tokenization makes the most sense on Bitcoin if Bitcoin is going to be the money of the future. And that's uh, that's why tokenization started on Bitcoin, actually. Um, but back in the days, we had solutions like uh, colored coins, um, that then uh, counterparty, and uh, finally Mastercoin was the first one that really kind of took on, uh, which is where USDT Tether was uh, was first issued on. Um, and what all of these, uh, by the way, Mastercoin is, is still uh, around today. It's uh, rebranded as OmniLayer, um, and you can still trade USDT on it. But what, what all of these solutions uh, have in common, and also some, some more modern approaches uh, like uh, RGB and, and Tarot, uh, what, what they have in common is that they, uh, they all uh, depend on uh, inserting data into the Bitcoin blockchain. They, we call them on-chain to tokenization solutions. Even though the, the, the last iterations of these technologies, like RGB, uh, like Tarot, like the, like Omnibolt, the, the lightning specification for OmniLayer, they, they all make use of, of the lightning network in order to, uh, to not need to write inside of Bitcoin transactions as much. Um, and, and I would say that, uh, you know, this needs to write inside of Bitcoin transactions is what ultimately led to tokenization taking on on different blockchains and uh, that, that's what led to, to ethereum taking up and so on um now the idea of, of um and, and the reason why they, they led to ethereum taking up and so on is because when you when you, you tokenize on uh, fully on chain you need to take up so much space uh inside of uh, of bitcoin transactions that uh that ultimately uh it, it doesn't it doesn't scale um there, obviously, we had the, the 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 block size wars and and all of those debates around that uh, whether we should be able to include more data on on, on chain on Bitcoin, um, and and the overwhelming uh, result out of that I think has been a, uh, an overwhelming consensus that uh, that no that Bitcoin sh uh, block should stay small uh, so that the network uh, it remains as, as as distributed as possible, um, and and I agree with that. 
Um, but then, but then how do we have tokenization that, to work alongside Bitcoin? Um, right. So, so, so how, how do we, uh, how do we approach this use case that's been taken over by Ethereum and other layer ones? Well, uh, the, the, the idea of, uh, that on-chain tokenization solutions have had in the last few years has been, like I said, moving, moving throughput over to Lightning. Um, and that's, uh, and that's great. But if the base token, the tokenization protocol, uh, still depends on, on, uh, it, it still lives on chain. Well, you're only kind of delaying the problem a, a, a little bit further down the road because, um, because you'll still, even, even if all the, the, the transactions between users, uh, in, in any token is done on lightning, you'll still need to take on space on, on the, uh, inside of Bitcoin transactions when you issue a new asset. And, and whenever you load up that asset into a lightning channel. And, and so we, we, if we imagine a world where, you know, we've gone, uh, hyper Bitcoinized and, uh, and every single, uh, asset or financial right or obligation is represented by a token, um, meant to, to make this asset, uh, peer to peer tradable for Bitcoin. Well, with, with on-chain tokenization, it's, it's not going to get there ultimately. Um, and I say this with a lot of respect for RGB. I think the, the work they've done is, is really important, really amazing. Um, but, and, and it's probably sufficient for, for today. But again, in a, in a fully hyper Bitcoinized world where, where we're tokenizing everything. So to, in order to trade it against Bitcoin, it's probably not going to work. And I think this is the major justification for sidechains, uh, because the sidechain, um, uh, it allows you to, to, uh, to tokenize assets, um, some in a, in a way that's somehow connected to Bitcoin. Now there's, there's not a, a strict definition for, for sidechain. So how, the, how they connect to Bitcoin is, uh, um, it, it, it's, it's fairly vague in the definition of a sidechain, but, uh, but in, in some ways or, or sense connected to Bitcoin, you can tokenize assets without needing to write anything inside of Bitcoin transactions. Um, now the problem with this, uh, at least with all of the sidechain, uh, sidechains that exist so far and all of the sidechain hypothetical sidechain proposals, uh, um, that, that are, that are around uh, aside from, from Sequentia is that, uh, they all, they all have to rely on some sort of representation of Bitcoin on the sidechain. You, you cannot, uh, you, you, you cannot, uh, interact with, uh, with actual Bitcoin on, on the main chain. Um, directly. And so, so you have LBTC on liquid, you have RBTC on rootstock. Uh, there's now SBTC coming out on, on stacks. In, in stacks cases, it's actually a, a little bit worse because, uh, because they have their own independent token that's not even pegged to Bitcoin, which every single user is, is forced to have. Um, so, well, so S, STX, I, I would say, uh, is, is what I would uh, personally refer to as a shitcoin because it's, uh, it, uh, it competes with Bitcoin in the monetary use case. The, the Bitcoin pegs like LBTC and RBTC, for me, they are sort of in a, in a gray area because, uh, because they don't gain any value from being used as money, from being forced to, to pay transaction fees with. Uh, they, they, they hold their value because they're backed by Bitcoin, but they're not, on one hand, they're not actual Bitcoin. There is some counterparty risk, um, now because there's custodians and so on and federations. Now you can say that, uh, with, uh, with improvements like BIP 300 or with dynamic federations, 
this counterparty risk is uh, is minimized um, uh, drastically. Uh, it's it's made irrelevant. I would I could possibly even agree with with that claim, but uh, but it, it, the the matter uh, the, the matter is that uh, it's it's still a massive uh, um, it's still a massive bottleneck in terms of user experience. It's it's uh, you know living here in El Salvador. I've lived here for just over a year. Uh, I find myself having to explain to people what the difference between Bitcoin and Lightning Bitcoin is all the time. Why are there two different types of Bitcoin? I uh, and and I think that you know having to explain this is is all right. It, uh, you know at least uh, Lightning Bitcoin is justified and and it's possible to imagine a world in the future where it's the main form of Bitcoin that most people use um, rather than on chain. But but having having a third type of Bitcoin, whether it's LBTC or RBTC, etc. Um, for uh, for uh, for financial markets, I think that's that's something that cannot be justified. I think uh, I think the user experience that you get from from these uh, previously mentioned on-chain solutions like RGB and Taro and uh, uh, Omnibolt is vastly superior, you know, because they they don't require uh, you to have any third token if uh, other than Bitcoin and and the tokenized assets that you're interested in. So. So for me, the UX has to be that if I if I have USDT and I want to sell it uh, uh, on a decentralized exchange peer to peer for BTC, you know I'm not going to need any third token, whether it whether it's a token that represents Bitcoin or or, or another type of token. I shouldn't need anything else, just uh, the assets that I'm interested in trading plus Bitcoin. Um, so this is what we're trying to do with Sequentia. We're trying to create the first uh, sidechain because we believe in, in the scalability offered by sidechains um, that actually has the user experience of, um, of on-chain tokenization. And what I mean by that um, in, in practice, and I, I can get a bit more into how all this works technically in a bit, but uh, um, uh, just, just on this point, on Sequentia, there's not going to be any native uh, transaction fee token. Uh, users will be able to choose any token issued on the sidechain to pay their transaction fees with, or to try to pay their transaction fees with, because it depends on the block creator being being interested in collecting those tokens. Um, and and so that means that if you have USDT and you want Bitcoin, you're not going to need anything else uh, to to begin up with. You, you'll be able to pay your transaction fee just with USDT and uh, and going to a decentralized exchange that allows you to sell that for for actual BTC. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's kind of the the value proposition that we're bringing on. Yeah, there was a lot to unpack there, a lot of technical, you know, jargon there. But what I will say, from what I've kind of digested from what you said, Andres, I seems like um, a lot of people are having an issue with Bitcoin in regards to security and innovation. So they want to keep things secure, they want to keep things simple and kind of the way they were. But at the same time, to innovate and to scale Bitcoin, you have to do things like side chains. And when I had the conversation with John Light, me and him were going back and forth for an almost an hour about it. And I think a lot of Bitcoiners are so um, stuck in their ways when it comes to Bitcoin only, no tokens, no shit coins. They don't even want to mention it when you start talking about side chains. So I'm glad that you kind of broke that down because it's kind of opening my eyes too, because I'm a you know a hardcore Bitcoiner and just to hear um, some possible solutions of like, you know, how we could actually scale this where um, you don't end up bogging up or slowing down the main chain is always a good thing. And it makes me think about, you know, some of the new innovations that people are trying to push onto 
um, the protocols such as ordinals. And I wanted to ask you about them as far as do you believe that they ruin the privacy of Bitcoin? And is it beneficial to have, you know, images, video and HTML to be included in the blockchain transaction and assigned to an individual Satoshi? Now, my, my position on ordinals, uh, you, know, you have to take it with, with a grain of uh, salt here because uh, it's it's an yeah, it's it's a little bit agnostic, but um, honestly, I, I I don't think that storing um, storing JPEGs on the blockchain makes any sense at all. Um, I don't I don't view ordinals as an attack vector either, um, because well, they they are paying for the block space that they're using. Um, there's a caveat here. I, I understand the nuance that uh, they have the seventy five percent discount with Taproot. Um, so that, that is something, you know, that, um, yeah, that, 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 it's the reason why I would tell you to take my, my position with a grain of salt because, uh, because there is some nuance here that I'm not really taking into account too much. But, but just overall in the big picture, I think that, uh, what, what I would say about ordinals is that, uh, they are, they are paying valuable Satoshis to, to use valuable block space, um, uh, putting worthless data into it. And, and that's, that's not sustainable. Using value for no value, uh, to get no value out of it is, uh, is simply never going to get it to be sustainable. And, and therefore it cannot be an attack vector because an attack vector by definition would have to be some, something that can be sustained against Bitcoin. Um, so my, my position on them is really just ignore them and they'll go away because no one's really getting anything out of it. Um, except maybe riling up Bitcoiners. Which, which is why we should ignore them so that they'll go away because, uh, because yeah, they're just, they're just trying to rile us up. That, that, that position doesn't, doesn't extend to all NFTs, uh, uh, universally. I, I think that the vast majority of NFTs are indeed scams, but they don't necessarily have to be. And, and also, well, just to go back to what, what you were talking about, uh, about shit coins, uh, no, I th I think that it's very important um, for Bitcoiners to actually settle on on a precise definition of what a shitcoin is. Um, you know, the, the word gets thrown about a lot without much critical thinking, and and I think you know it's it's not that we should get rid of the word altogether. It's a very useful word. Uh, it's a very useful categorization, but we we should we should be a little bit more precise about it, and. Um, well, at least my, my, my definition of, of a shitcoin, how I use the word is, uh, is any, any digital asset that, uh, that, uh, claims, uh, claims a monetary use case, but isn't Bitcoin. Now, um, if, if a token is, is, uh, if, if a token is, um, enforced as a transaction fee token, like, for example, ETH on Ethereum or Sol and Solana, et cetera, uh, for me, that automatically automatically makes it a shitcoin. Um, if uh, it, and even if it's not being enforced as a transaction fee uh, uh, currency, if uh, if in any way uh, you know the, the 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 token presents itself as uh, as something that's uh, meant to be used as a means of exchange, then it's it's also it's also a shitcoin. But not not all tokens are shitcoins. And I go even further and say that not all scams are shitcoins. Some some tokens are scammy. They they they're uh, very obviously fraudulent, but do not fit within this definition of a shitcoin. 
So, so that's another kind of little caveat here. Um, so for example, F F FTT, um, as far as I know, they, they never presented, uh, that as, as, uh, as being used as, as money. It didn't have its own blockchain to where you'd have to pay that token as a transaction fee. So I would say that I would even go as far as saying that FTT was not a shitcoin. Um, although don't get me wrong, it was very much, uh, a scam. Um, but, but yeah, so, so that's, that's just about uh, getting our, our definitions more precise. Um, so NFTs, according to my definition, cannot really be shitcoins. Yet most of them do, do have fundamental intentions. Uh, they, they don't have, uh, uh, any real world utility. Um, there are some, some interesting exceptions going on. Uh, I, I, I heard the other day about some, some NFT, uh, used to, to, uh, get popcorn in the U.S. at, uh, theaters. Um, I, I, I don't know much about it, but, but I, I think stuff like that, you know, could be, could make sense, could be interesting. Um, furthermore, you know, actual regulated securities. I think that's, that's probably the, the most interesting use case for tokenization. Um, but, but yeah, um, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, uh, confuse tokenizing, um, assets and 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 rights especially real life rights uh with with shit coining because uh on w one thing can on on one hand you've got something that can actually maybe bitcoin more useful more sellable um on and on the other hand you've uh, you, you've got actually competing against bitcoin and moving in in the space of bitcoin uh attacking its uh its use case so yeah those are two two separate things yeah and you know you know taking a picture of a monkey and trying to monetize it and transfer it. It's just, to me, it just makes no sense. But I will say that I feel like NFTs might be useful in the sense of like, um, arbitraging art or bringing some value to it at some point or um using it to like scan tickets to get into a concert. I mean, of course we have QR codes, but it just makes me think about anytime you talk about nfts you're automatically putting yourself into like a quote-unquote alternative coin category and i remember talking to john about um bridges and when he said the word bridges i was like oh well, wait a minute because as soon as i hear the word bridge i'm like you know bridges are the things that always get hacked especially when you're talking about um cardano solana so he had to kind of explain to me how rootstock uses a bridge but that side chain is still kind of backed by uh, Bitcoin. So when you kind of explained that to me, I said, okay, that makes sense. As long as it's still being based around the the number one asset, which is Bitcoin, I think these side chains and being educated on side chains is something that I feel is extremely important. That's why I have you on the show. And, you know, I just want to really dig into more of these concepts because I think a lot of Bitcoiners are just truly ignorant to what side chains are and their potential. So, um, do you believe like, you know, issuing tokens inside of a big Bitcoin block offers much better use experience than a sidechain would even with this fully trustless two-way peg? Yeah, uh, that, that, that's, that's exactly what, what I claim. Um, and, and again, you know, this is, uh, for, for me, while, while it's just, you know, uh, a few of us, uh, Bitcoin nerds in, in our basement, uh, it's, it's totally fine to have, uh, pegs and uh bridges and and also and so on but we want we have to think about uh the the mass adoption uh the, the the possibility of mass adoption and uh and whether 
whether certain user experiences, uh, user journeys are are viable for mass adoption. Um, now that what, what a lot of people think uh, that that means um, is is uh, is um, sacrificing on trustlessness and uh, and uh, uh, self custody. A lot of people think that that's the only way to get mass adoption. Um, you know, did you have uh, custodial services, uh, third parties, um, and and ultimately, ultimately, well, that's that's one route. You know, and, and I recognize here in El Salvador, you know, we've had this this mix of top down and bottom up adoption, which has uh, I think been been really healthy, and and some of it has involved in, uh, introducing people to the technology through custodial services. But in the in in the big picture, uh, in the in the long run, I think that uh, that we don't have we don't have to make a a, a trade off uh, to choose a, 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 between one of these trade offs. I think that uh, um, that precisely what's beautiful about Bitcoin is that it's uh, it's a technology that can um, that can scale to to mass mass use without uh, giving up on 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 any of its uh, fundamental principles. Um, so so yeah it, i think that uh even if a peg was made uh you know fully two-way trustless uh as as they claim at rsk is uh is blockstream uh also also want to give the impression with uh with dynamic federations as uh paul storps uh, talks about uh, with uh, with uh, drive chains and the ap300 now even if, if 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 it is even if it if it is actually achievable um it's it's still always going to be uh, a bottleneck in terms of of uh, onboarding actual users to to actually use it. So um, so yeah, um, RGB I think has the potential um, has the most potential out of any uh, layer two uh, layer two solution on the works aside from from Sequentia today, um, precisely because it has this this uh, user experience. Which can actually even be made better because, uh, well, with, with, uh, with RGB, as, as long as you're not doing things on Lightning, as long as you're still on chain, you, you still need to have Bitcoin to pay a transaction fee even for, for, uh, uh tokens. Um, whereas I think that, uh, the best possible user experience would have you, uh, be able to, to sell USDT without having anything else, even without already having Bitcoin. Um, you know, and, and it's just, it's just about trying to make these things make sense while, while not sacrificing, sacrificing anything in terms of, um, in, ter in terms of the trustlessness and the distribution of the network, which is what's, uh, what every other layer one has, uh, has sacrificed, uh, in competing against Bitcoin. Yes. And, you know, that makes me think about something when you mentioned El Salvador. Um, of course, they have the Chivo wallet. And I interviewed Noor, who is the interim CEO for Bitcoin Beach Wallet. And I asked her a question and I want to ask you because you're actually living in the country and you experience, you know, the Bitcoin, you know, paradigm shift that they're, they're they're currently being under and my question to you is and this ties into side chains is do you believe that the chivo wallet can be actually more effective if they use lightning instead of trying to do things on the main chain layer or trying to onboard el salvadorians who you know most more than likely have been unbanked you know prior to 2001 so a lot of these people are just coming onto bitcoin have never had a banking service before do you think because lightning uses small day-to-day -day transactions that it would actually help the chivo wallet achieve what el salvador is trying to do 
I, th I think the, the the biggest problems with Chivo have been, first of all, the the rollout with the thirty dollar uh, airdrop. Um, a lot of people getting that mm -hmm. stolen from them. That uh, that probably was the worst worst thing. I don't think there was really any way um, to to solve that. Um, um, I'm I'm not sure how the attack happened, whether it was brute force, uh, but in any case, it, it didn't have much to do with Chivo itself, more with the Social Security Administration. Um, but that's that's uh, that hurts the credibility and reputation of the app um, quite a lot from, from the get go. Um, then the biggest problems since then, I would say, have been around liquidity, um, no, not being able to to withdraw um, or or ATMs that are empty. Um, but well, in terms of the the official app itself, you know, you, you read on Twitter a lot of really really bad reviews of uh, of Kilo. People have had terrible experiences, and actually, um, in my experience, most of these uh, of these terrible experiences, though, at least as considering Kilo as a point of sale uh, app, they they actually don't come from the the standard implementation of the application. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of stores here in El Salvador that uh, that connect to Chivo's APIs, uh, but they uh, they have their own the, their own custom-made application, um, and and that's where most of the the problems, like with uh, with payments timing out before they've uh, they've been registered and so on, that that's where it, it happens. Um, with merchants that are simply using the, the the standard version downloaded from the App Store or Play Store. Um, there's, there's not much of a, of a problem, um, as, as a point of sale, just, uh, at, uh, from the point of view of the customer. There's, uh, there's mainly just been problems with liquidity, which, uh, which I think they're, they're solving now. Well, I hope so, at least, uh, um, because for me, Chivo is, Chivo is kind of like, uh, it, it, it's, it's a transit, it's, it's a transitory application. It's, it's, for me, it's main use case is uh, for Salvadoran merchants. That are not ready to be uh, orange pilled yet. You know, whenever I talk to someone that uh, that doesn't accept Bitcoin yet, I usually end up recommending Chivo to them. But that's not the first thing I do. The first thing is, uh, you know, there's no alternative for good old orange pilling and to uh, and to self custody and so on. And so that's that's the first thing that I try to to do whenever I meet a merchant that doesn't accept Bitcoin. But you know, for a lot of them. They've, uh, they, they just don't, don't want to deal with this, uh, yet. They, you know, they, they're, they're, they're thinking month to month. So they're not going to be exposed to anything that's, uh, volatile enough to, to affect their month to month. Um, and, and that's, that's where Chivo really makes sense. It's, uh, because it, it, it allows you to be compliant with, with, uh, the, the law, um, without necessarily being exposed to Bitcoin in, in any way, having to touch Bitcoin, uh, at any point. And, uh, because there's, that's, uh, auto conversion to USD that, that it, uh, offers. And so if, uh, if they solve all the liquidity issues, uh, so that it's uh, always seamless to transfer to your bank account, then, then for me, it, it's doing its job. It doesn't need to do anymore. A lot of the news or the FUD coming out of El Salvador for people that have never been there or people that have never actually utilized the Chivo wallet. This is why I love to ask people that actually used it. I feel like a lot of the alt corners use this as a fulcrum to say, you see, they went to the Bitcoin standard. It doesn't work. The, 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 it has some wonky features to the, to the application. This is why you need to use this alternative coin or that alternative coin. And I always remember uh, Jimmy Song saying that 
you know, every alt corner is playing a game of trying to make their money and then getting out before it collapses. And do you believe that the SEC will crush the altcoin market, making it easier for Bitcoin to flourish in the future? Well, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't keep track of uh, stuff going on in the U.S. that much. Uh, I'm uh, mostly tuned to to Europe, but um, but obviously we we've all heard uh, uh, well, what Gary Gensler is saying and. Uh, and um i i don't know i i think you know whatever ends up happening there needs there needs to be some some uh some precise guidelines and definitions uh as much as uh as much as i wish we could just uh shut down all all, uh, all shit points uh in in a click you know uh i i don't think this should be at the cost of uh of uh you know proper principles of rule of law um so so yeah there, there's definitely a lot of pseudo securities out there uh or rather unregistered securities and and uh, it makes sense that uh that the loan would be enforced on them like as they would with with any other issuer of securities whether they're tokenized or not and and uh all i think is that it it it, it needs to be consistent um and uh and precise in its definitions, which is something which uh, I am not sure we have right now uh, with the current rulings coming out of the SEC. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I think that there's just not enough clarity and regulation there. I, I think that in my honest opinion, I think that Bitcoin has already reached a level where they really can't control it. They really don't have a true way to regulate it. So they're kind of just like ping ponging between handpicking certain exchanges that they want to, you know, audit or just charging people with fraud, depending if it's a celebrity or whatever. That's what you're seeing a lot in America. I know you're not aware, but I really wanted to kind of switch gears and talk about um, something I see you converse about sometimes, which is um, security, the security aspects of certain things, in particular nodes. And, you know, nodes on the Lightning Network are required to be online at all times in order for them to send and receive payments. And, you know, since the parties involved in those transactions must be online, um, they have to use their private keys to sign in, obviously. Um, is it possible that those coins could be stolen if the computer storing those private keys are compromised? Well, yeah, of, of course. If, if a machine that's storing private keys uh, unencrypted gets compromised, then then uh, then those private keys are compromised. So you should never be storing unencrypted private keys uh, locally. Um, what, what's what's more dangerous than stolen private keys? As long you know, obviously, as, as long as you're not uh, storing anything locally, is uh, unencrypted as you should. Um, is, is man in the middle attacks. Um, now they're a little bit harder to do these days than they, they, they were 10 years ago, let's say. Um, but they're, they're still, they're still, um, uh, they're, they're still a, a significant, uh, risk. Um, that's why air gapped, uh, solutions signing, signing offline is always, uh, better. Um, but but you, well, with, with it's it's always uh, it's always been a, a matter of uh, of risk profile with with Bitcoin. Um, you know, it it depends on on how comfortable you are taking different kind of risks and uh, 
and, and how comfortable you are um, taking extra steps to, to avoid those risks. In gen generally speaking, I would say that consumer logging uh, uh, applications are uh, are secure enough for for what they're intended to be, to be used for uh, today. Yes, yes, I think that that makes perfect sense as well. And Andres, this is the last question. Um, you know, like, what would be your call to action for people that are interested in side chains, or even better, you know, what you want to achieve with Sequentia within the next few months or years that you kind of think will really change and revolutionize the Bitcoin ecosystem? Well, no, the the first thing we want to do is is to challenge this uh, false dichotomy that uh, you either have to tokenize on chain or you need some uh, some sort of uh, representation of Bitcoin to to to, to, uh, uh, to if if you are going to to create a uh, an ecosystem of tokenized financial assets that can be traded against BTC um, and yeah there's um, there's a lot of documentation on our website, on our blog. Uh, we we talk about how we're we're challenging these notions. Um, we talk about uh, some uh, some of the ideas that uh, that we have to make this possible. Um, and and you know, I think don't 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 be afraid to 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 uh, call things out and to criticize things. You know, that's I think that's. Uh, Possibly one of the biggest um, challenges that we have as a community that people are afraid to talk about things because they're afraid that they'll get shut down and criticized too much, and uh, you know people are a bit fragile about, around things. Um, and you know, I, I, I think that uh, the way that uh, that we move Bitcoin forward and that we change the world with it is uh, without without fear, you know, and uh, and openly and uh, and discussing discussing things and uh, and challenging each other. And uh, and I want to be challenged uh, around Sequentia. I want to, th these ideas to be challenged. Um, I, I I want uh, I, I want to defend them uh, honestly. I, I and you know I don't I don't want to I don't want to do what the the, the crypto scam world does. Uh, you know, just astroturfing and uh, manufactured conversations. I want there to be actual real conversations between us. So, so yeah, that would be my call to action uh, to Bitcoiners in general to just, just come, come attack us. Yes, that's sound advice, Andres. I couldn't agree more. Um, could you give the world your social media handles? And, you know, I just want to thank you for being on the Bitcoin source, a Bitcoin conversation. This has been an awesome um, take on sidechains, ordinals, um, you know, what you're doing at Sequentia. I'm really honored and appreciative of you coming on the show. On the show. Thanks a lot for having us. Uh, my... Handle on Twitter is uh, A-E-J-K-O-H-L. Um, that's also my handle on Telegram and a bunch of other social media. Uh, Sequentia's handle on Twitter is uh, Sequentia S-E-Q. Um, and uh, we we also have uh, um, our blog and documentation, as I mentioned, on our main website, Sequentia.io. Um, and uh, yeah, feel free to to drop me a line either on, on Twitter, Telegram, anywhere. Um, would uh, would love to to carry on this conversation. Once again, Andreas, thank you for being on the Bitcoin Source. Have a good Take one. Care.